Wondry Plus subscribers can binge all episodes of Class of 88 ad-free. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts. Sometime in early 88, I went on a date. This girl was special and I wanted to impress her, you know, so I rented a white Mercedes convertible just, you know, because I needed to floss a little bit. My plan was to take her around Hollywood Hills, you know, drive up Mulholland, all that, watch the sunset. We went for a drive. Do you remember? I know exactly what happened. We were out and you saw a homeless person and you gave the homeless person $100 and it was like, it was so nice. And it was so nice. And then then we went to the Hollywood sign. Her name was Sandy. I always had a thing for Sandy, but you know, she was always dating somebody else. Now she was single. We was both going to be in L.A. at the same time, you know, so you know, I'm going to shoot my shot. My concern was that I, w- I was going to get killed. So that's what that was my concern when I was like, I was trying to spit my game, but I ain't really have nothing. That was a legit concern. <laughs> I always faked like I had game. I didn't really have game. I was always in this full on, like trying to give the wildest flavor of having game, but that might have been the most terrified I had ever been, like (laughs) trying to shoot my shot with Pat. And I didn't believe I had a real shot. That ended up being my one and only date with Sandra Denton, AKA Pep, AKA one half of the rap group Salt and Pepper. We always really got along. There were things that were so similar in our experiences. We were young, we were on our way to the top of the rap game, and both, in a sense, outcasts. By the summer of 88, me and Jeff had a platinum record. Salt and Pepper had one too. But in some parts of the rap world, what we didn't have was respect. There were some hardcore purists that said we sold out. You would read in magazines, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince from the suburbs. And it was kind of like, I need to bring you around to my mom's block. This is very far from the suburbs. And that kind of hurt because you're a hip hop through and through. And you realize, wow, the only thing that changed is the success. To the critics, our success was a sign that we had forgotten where we came from, that we were sellouts. People talked about this concept so much, MTV made a documentary about it featuring artists like MC Hammer and Stetsasonic. Well, one of the strangest things in the rap language is the word or the phrase sellout. If your record crosses over pop and you get listeners who are not black, you are called a sellout. Hopefully it goes back to the street and don't get caught up in a bunch of commercial, you know, politics. It's going to cross over and then you're going to see rap no more. 1988 brought rap into the mainstream in a massive way, but some artists who crossed over to pop faced backlash. And it raised a question people are still arguing about today. What is real hip hop? Here we are, Salt and Pepper, and we were like selling so many records, but then I was noticing radio and you know the source. I'm like, yo, why are we not getting mics? Because we were crossing over pop. Success can be a double-edged sword. And in 1988, salt and Pepper experienced a level of success most artists only dream about. Today, we're bringing you their story, how they took on the haters to release one of the most enduring records in rap history. 
and in the process also helped pave the way for the current dominance of female MCs. We had to just work extra hard. We always say we brought fun, fashion, and femininity to mm -hmm. hip-hop. Definitely female empowerment. Just being able to do your passion and do it proudly. From Wondery and Audible, this is Class of 88. I'm Will Smith, Episode 6, The Showstoppers. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. In 1985, Cheryl James and Sandy Denton were nursing students at Queensboro Community College. To make extra cash, they both took jobs at the local Sears. Looking back, this wasn't just any Sears. It was a hotbed of hip-hop talent. In fact, it might be the most culturally significant Sears in all of rap history. What was going on at that damn Sears? We were do telephone, telephone solicitors solicitor. selling maintenance foolishness. Agreements. Maintenance um, agreement to your Sears supply. Stuff you don't need. <laughs> stuff you, you don't need. You sound like you could still need. do it. Like you said, like you so what would you say? So you <laughs> would call true. you would call like call people's houses and Hello, this is so and so and we would like to <laughs> talk about your um washing machine as like twenty years old and would you like, you know, uh, maintenance for agreement? Your, uh, maintenance agreement is seventy nine ninety nine. It was very depressing. Trying to sell people stuff they don't need is depressing. <laughs> they hated the job, but what made it bearable was the people. Everybody there seemed to have a crazy side hustle. Kid and play work there. And then there was the aspiring comedian whose desk was right next to Cheryl's. He used to sit next to me in the cubicle, and mm -hmm. he was trying his jokes out on me. Whoa. And the funny thing about Martin is I didn't think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like... I really didn't. You know when somebody tried to... That Martin that she's talking about is Martin Lawrence, the guy who would one day give me the job of Mike Lowry and Bad Boys. One day the power went out at the call center and Martin took it as his big opportunity to seize the spotlight. The computer went down mm -hmm. and... It, the, I mean, not the, the system went down, it the did, lights. Yeah. And okay. then he started doing stand-up. At Sears? At Sears. I we had a little break. <laughs> Also working at the call center was Cheryl's boyfriend, a guy named Herbie Azor. I was dating Herbie, and Herbie was dabbling in music. He used to be in a group called the Super Lover MCs, yep. and 
he was doing music and, you know, the girlfriend's always around in the studio. He's playing around with his drum machine and then he said he wanted to start a group. Herbie imagined a group that would be two MCs. His girlfriend Cheryl would be one and he would be the other. So we were trying to put a salt and pepper together. He was going to be pepper at first. That, would, that wouldn't have worked <laughs> at all. Whoa, Herbie was going to be yes, pepper? Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, and there were two other girls that auditioned. One name was Janai, had a very high-pitched, squeaky voice. And then there was another girl who she spoke very properly, which doesn't work for rap. And then when we got pepper, it was like lightning struck. The way our voices went together, yeah, chemistry yeah. together, and that was it. By the way, this chemistry Salt is talking about still comes through now, decades later. Cheryl and Sandy finish each other's sentences, set up each other's jokes. It's almost impossible to imagine them apart. But you're missing mm-hmm. a, a little point to that story. Mm-hmm. At Sears, Herbie was sitting close to us because we was in a little cubicle and everything. But Herbie first said well, he wanted to hear me rap, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had this one little oh, I'm Sandra rap. D from coast to coast. She be doing a most. <laughs> and he was like, you can rap, you can rap. And he's like, yo, come to the studio. I always said that story is like the Goldilocks of three bears or something. Like, yeah. this one was too squeaky. Yeah. <laughs> this one was <laughs> and this, and one, this one was just, just right. right. <laughs> Once again, my friends and countrymen, lend us your ears and eyes. The showstopper is stupid friend. When will you be satisfied? Most acts spend years grinding before they get their big break. But for Cheryl and Sandy, that break came with their first song, The Showstopper. In 1985, they recorded it as a demo under the name Supernature. Herbie passed the demo to a DJ friend and it became a hit on local radio. But it was just a demo from an unknown group and people were like, what is this song? Listeners would call in asking for the Salt and Pepper MC song and the name stuck. The Showstopper is a diss track taking aim at two of New York's most popular rappers, Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick, and their track, The Show. Salt and Pepper was not fooling around. He wore plastic bellies and a Gucci suit. Cracked a little smile to the face go too. Was he cute? Negative. He was a dupe instead of polo. He wore boots and it was bucked up. I'm not worth some mother. The boy was rude. I didn't approve. He tried to make a move and said, stop it, dude. The song was calling out Dougie and Rick for the way they rapped about women. It was a strong feminist statement that would be a hallmark of Salt and Pepper's music for decades. All the hype earned Salt and Pepper a record deal, and the official release of the Showstopper made it all the way to number 46 on the R&B charts. While Sandy and Cheryl's skills were undeniable, Herbie deserved a lot of the credit, too. He became salt and Pepper's manager, their producer, their songwriting partner. He recruited their DJ, Spinderella, and he helped them get signed. Here's how Jeff describes them. Herbie was 
the guiding force behind Salt and Pepper in the early days. Herbie was on tour with them. Herbie was responsible for their show. He was the guy who was responsible for the musical direction and was incredible. I knew Herbie from being on the road with Salt and Pepper. It was kind of like, Herbie's not a dancer. Herbie's not the DJ. Herbie makes the beats. Oh, man, that's crazy. Herbie was a sort of proto-Diddy, a mogul who shaped raw talent into entertainment brands. He thought he was Prince, and he made us like Wendy and Lisa. Isn't it, isn't it crazy, like, how how things just come together mm-hmm. and, and just make something beautiful that's yeah. beyond what anybody individually imagine. could imagine. Yeah. The whole Idol Makers camp, you know, Dana Dane, Kwame, Sweet Tea, Salt and Pepper. He did that before Diddy yeah. did it. It was a whole camp of us. Herbie called his management company Idol Makers. And with his help, Salt and Pepper released their debut album, Hot, Cool, and Vicious, in 1986. It took a while. But in early 1988, one remix from that album, a B-side actually, started running up the charts. The track was called Push It. The video was a hit just like the song. Salt and Pepper rhyme in front of a cheering crowd and they're wearing body suits and chains and colorful oversized jackets covered with the Idol Makers logo. They look like stars, but they're not just rapping. They're also performing choreographed dance moves. At the time, that sort of thing was really unheard of. Because we danced and rapped at the same time, you know. Yeah, that was a whole other thing. You know, the way that you all performed also was a new style. It was like there was pieces of other genres, but not hip-hop. It was the first time those things had come together in hip-hop. I think that's the key for artists. Like, there's a lot of cookie-cutter artists that don't have the longevity that we had, and I think that's because we were so different. We dared to be different. Push It is iconic today. But when Herbie first brought it to Cheryl and Sandy, they didn't want to do it. It was too pop. When Herbie was doing Push It, and never forget, we were in Brooklyn at Fresh Gordy House. Mm -hmm. And literally when that song, we listened to it. And I said, okay, oh, shoot, now they're going to hate us now. Oh, they're going to get us now. Cheryl and Sandy weren't thinking about how the track might be received by radio DJs and record executives. They were thinking about how it might fly in the street. This part of the story might sound familiar by now. It was the same kind of fear Run DMC had about Walk This Way or that me and Jeff had about using Parents Just Don't Understand as our first single. The fear that rap fans just wouldn't vibe with music that sounded too pop. And he was like... Sandra, get in the booth. <laughs> Sandra. Sandra, 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 get in the booth. Get in the booth. Cheryl, get I ass in the booth. I was laughing and all complaining, like, the hood's gonna get us. The yeah. street's gonna get us. Herbie was persistent, and fortunately for the world, Sandy and Cheryl eventually gave in. So in the studio with Push It, uh, it, it seems like sanity prevailed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Like, that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. records it, in hip-hop yeah, history. Yeah. Yeah. 
In February 1988, Push It reached number 19 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was an international pop hit record. It was on pop radio, and the video made it on MTV. Club MTV is next with Salt and Pepper performing Push It. This thing is a monster smash. People in Salt Lake City, Utah are buying it. It was so funny, right, because the Tramp was the record we were pushing, and we put Push It on as a B-side, so we just made Push It, like, just to put on the backside. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's what the whole... Like, why is so startling? People are using it for aerobics classes. Salt and Pepper were crossing over. In July 1988, they released a new album, Assault with a Deadly Pepper. It contained hits like Shake Your Thing and Twist and Shout and eventually sold over 800,000 copies. But this kind of success came with complications. You were talking about Top of the Pops and traveling the world. That kind of explosiveness mm-hmm. can actually work against you yes. at the core of the genre and of that street level, especially in New York. What was that experience yeah. for you? We felt like outcasts. Yeah, we were in such a unique, just like yourself, yeah. category. And I don't think everybody quite understood it, especially when Pusha came out and we did go international. So we were hip hop. We started out street with I'll Take Your Man, a Mike Sound Nice, Tramp, all those records. Yeah. Even did the go-go, shake your thing with yeah. EU. We was hitting the streets with the music. Yeah. But then once we crossed mm-hmm. over, we became just something they couldn't wrap their brain around, yeah, you know, yeah. it, within the industry. I remember Russell Simmons, one time we were at a party or something and I happened to be standing near him and somebody asked him, what did he think about those, those salt and pepper girls? Mm-hmm. Which was so ironic that I was there during this conversation yeah. and he didn't know it because, mm-hmm. you know, your face wasn't known back then. And he gave us a thumbs down. And I remember thinking, wow, if Russell Simmons the godfather of hip-hop, thinking we're whack. Where do we go from there? It was hard. It was lonely. But we had each other. We did. To lean on. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know, kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. At this point, you might be wondering, well, what's the problem with crossing over? Well, crossing over to where? Hip-hop is black music. It exists apart from and in spite of a mainstream music industry that historically controlled what got played on the radio and got covered in the media. 
So to some, crossing over was just another way of saying you were trying to appeal to those gatekeepers, that you were selling out your truth for their approval. But we weren't trying to cross over as much as we were trying to, like, make great records. And, you know, we were trying to get paid a little bit, too. We made records for our friends. If our friends didn't like it, it wasn't good. We didn't know what crossover was. We didn't understand that. I knew growing up there were black stations and there were white stations. But I didn't know there were black stations and white stations, if, if you understand what I'm saying. For us, the thing that would just kill me all the time was, you know, you make music for white people. Mm. And it's like, no, I'm making it for y'all. I'm making the music that's coming from inside of me. It's for everybody, you know. And, you know, it's so funny how everybody has their own struggle. Because while you were feeling outcast, me and Jeff were like, damn, why people don't accept us like they accept salt and pepper? Wow. <laughs> damn, like like salt and pepper, they get to do that and walk the street. Why we can't be accepted in both ways like that? Because we saw mm -hmm. you as accepted and us as not. But we really yeah, were. We really wasn't. Yeah. No, we really <laughs> went Yo. through that. But sometimes when you do have those notions in your head, it does make you react differently yeah. oh to people. God. It makes you assume a lot of things. Based on our music, people made a lot of assumptions about me and Jeff, about how we were raised, what our childhoods were like. They assumed that because we didn't rap about specific inner city struggle that we had it easy. It, it used to be really funny when people would say that Will and I were from the suburbs. We were so far for, yeah. removed from any of that. Yeah. It was just as much neighborhood carnage that we saw every yeah. day that the people who rapped about it. It's just we chose not to. Yeah, I would say that it was the best of us. It was the fun yeah. part of us. Yeah. And there were aspects that we left out of our music. We left out the drug dealers that we were running with. We left out the violence in our households. We didn't want to add darkness to the world, you know? We left out the fights. Our crew would <laughs> fucking fight every city we went to. We were fighting somebody. We left that out. I think that it was the youthful utopia that we wished that we grew up in and that we were trying to create for ourselves and our friends and our family. And at that time, it was a breath of fresh air that hip hop needed, which was why people took to it. Jeff and I weren't always accepted in hip hop. Our success seemed to somehow signify to the culture that we were separate from it or worse, that we had betrayed it. Salt and Pepper struggled with that too. But meanwhile, they had to deal with challenges that me and Jeff could never understand. Here's a clip from the documentary Rap City. They interviewed folks on the streets of Philly about women in rap. They all right, but uh, they ain't really got no message like the guys do, you know, they just be you know, like trying to show off their body. They can rap, but I think it'd be best for the guys to rap. 
Because when they rap, it's like they trying to be like fly, you know. What you think what everybody be looking for? Their parents, right? Hey, that's how it is in America now. Women in the music business have always faced an uphill battle. And unfortunately, hip hop is no exception. And so Salt and Pepper were never just judged for their music or for their success. They were held to a different standard. Oh, they appealing to me. I see what they're shaking they fat. I'm down. <laughs> I love it too. If they're sweet, sexy, and they smile a lot, they got my, they got my ticket. <laughs> when Push It came out, Salt and Pepper were immediately criticized for being too overtly sexual. The lyrics to the song were push it, but some people thought they were saying a different word, a slang term for the female anatomy. We were at a show, and it was one of those shows where the police would say, you can't curse, you can't do anything like that on your performances. Yeah. They used to be at the venue. And so we go up there so and performing the day. The cops was waiting for us at the end mm -hmm. of the stage because they thought we were cursing. Yeah, and that we crazy? had to and actually now, go get the album and show it to them and wow. say, we're saying, yes. push it. We was fighting. They was fighting us. 1988 was a showcase for the excellence of female MCs. It was the year Salt and Pepper went platinum. MC Light and JJ Fad released albums that went gold. And artists like Queen Latifah were on their way up. They played a huge role ushering in the golden age of hip hop. But they were the trailblazers. So sometimes they had to pry open closed doors. One of those early trailblazers was Roxanne Shantae. Shantae was a freestyle prodigy. In middle school, she was already battling male rappers 10 years older than her. In 1985, Shantae entered the MC competition at the Battle for World Supremacy. She was just 15 at the time. Okay, B. Busy B, you're going to start first, okay? Uh, do you need any warm-up? No, you're in the finals. No warm-ups. Winning the Battle for World Supremacy had the potential to change Shantae's life. The title came with prestige plus a big check. And even though a woman had never won the competition, Shantae was feeling confident. She won round after round, eventually making it all the way to the finals. So I rhymed all day long. And they was like, she can win it. That's it. She got this. Like, she's getting ready to be considered the best in the world. We're going to have to give her that belt. We're going to have to give her that money. We're going to have to give her that title. And she's going to hold it for a long time. One, two, three, hit it. Once upon a time in a place called The Ville, when I was walking through the projects, you know, trying to chill, all of a sudden, mm. this guy came up to me. He said, you're fly, fly behind. Talk to guys, don't know why. And Three. there ain't a guy who can't pass your by. I looked at him and I said, no lie. So after the battle was over and they getting ready to call the winner, they need to know everybody's scorecards. 10, 10, 10, 10. DJ Red Alert, we got an eight. Bambada, we got a 10. Wizkid, we got a 10. Buff and the Fat Boys, we got a 10. 10, 20. Shantae looked like a lot to win, but it all came down to the final judge, the legendary MC Curtis Blow. Curtis Blue, we got a four. He turned it around and it was a four. And he was like, what? 
and the place erupted. I think that was the first time I cried over hip hop. Like that was the first time I remembered that I was truly a little girl in hip hop because I cried. And um, I left there and I knew that hip hop was different. Years later, Shantae ran into Kurt and she asked him why he had scored her so badly. He said, I know I never explained this to you before, but let me just tell you why. At that time, hip hop was just being recognized as a serious genre of music. We were just starting to get major deals with record companies. They were starting to let us in boardroom meetings. And um, if they would have known that the best in the world was a 15-year-old girl, they'd have never took us serious. He says, I didn't do that to you, but I did that for hip-hop. And, you know, I'm sorry. He said, look, I know that that probably changed the whole path of your life, but he said, but I couldn't do it at the time, and I regret that. For Salt and Pepper, the barriers they faced just made them work harder. Here's Salt. It actually was fuel yeah. for me. It was almost like a favor. Like it pushed, pushed me to really go hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Yeah. I don't think no group ever practiced as much, not even the Temptations, because Salt and Pepper were always the only females yeah. on every single yeah. Yeah. tour. We've yeah. actually never had any other women with us. When you guys go up there with all your commanding the crowd and your vibrato Mm -hmm. and me and Pepe used to look at each other like, and we would be headlining, you know, and then we got to go last and we got (laughs) to, and like she said, this is a male dominated, misogynistic, hardcore music. And then here we come, we had to just work extra hard. We always (laughs) say we brought fun, fashion and femininity to Mm -hmm. hip hop. Definitely female empowerment. Yep. Just being able to to do your passion and do it proudly, unapologetically. Yep. You know, a lot yep. of times women feel like they have to apologize for their power. So you might as well put it all out there, yep. you know, because they don't like yep. you anyway. Yep. So you can't, you can't keep making yourself small in order to make people comfortable. Yep. <laughs> Salt and Pepper never apologized, not for success, not for crossing over, not for being who they are. And today, some of the people who stood in their way are finally apologizing to them. Like 20 some years, you know, of radio jockey that's very known in New York came up to me and said, Pep, I want to tell you, I shitted on Salt and Pepper and I want to apologize. But that's a beautiful thing for him to come back, mm-hmm. own up to that yeah, and yeah. say, yeah. I apologize because yeah. y'all was kicking down doors. Yeah, y'all yeah. was killing it. Today, the idea that hip hop can't cross over to the pop chart seems insane. Sometimes it feels like hip hop is the charts and every once in a while it lets a pop track on. We can partially thank Salt and Pepper for that. Over their career, they've sold over 15 million albums. Pep's jacket is hanging in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They got a Grammy on the shelf and they've helped pave the way for artists from Little Kim to Nicki Minaj. And not to mention, they also helped change the life of at least one bad boy, maybe two. Back in the Sears call center days, Cheryl and Sandy made a pact with their co-worker. The thing was, whoever get famous first would put the other one on. After Salt and Pepper hit it big, they kept their word 
and gave Martin Lawrence his big break. He no. opened for us in Manhattan for yes. the, his first Inferno. gig ever at the Inferno. He Inferno. opened for wow. Salt and Pepper. I didn't think he was funny that day either. <laughs> but little, what do I know? I'm Putting on your people. That's real hip hop. By the summer of 88, hip hop was everywhere. Artists like us and Run DMC and Salt and Pepper were topping global music charts. Yo MTV Raps was piping hip hop onto TVs all across America. Almost all of this music had one thing in common. It was coming from the East Coast. But a new kind of noise was on the way up out west in California. Next time on the show, the origins of the legendary NWA. But if you've seen Straight Outta Compton and think you've heard the whole story, think again. Because NWA didn't just start with Eazy-E and Dr. Dre. In fact, they might not have happened at all without three teenage girls from Rialto who themselves would have one of the biggest records in 1988. Eazy-E executed this plan. He wanted to put the girls out to open the doors for the guys. And then Dre put his magic hands on it. That song actually funded Straight Outta Compton to get that out at the time. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, you got your album out. Okay, now you got a Grammy. Okay, now you're going on tour. And This whole thing happened as a fluke, and that was one of the biggest records of all time. Who knew? That's coming up on Class of 88. Follow Class of 88 on the Amazon Music app, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes ad-free right now by joining Amazon Music.